name is Steph Bastian and welcome back to another episode of Tattoo Tales Podcast. Today's guest is Freddie Corbin. Freddie is the owner of Temple Tattoo in Oakland and he's been part of the sort of tattoo renaissance in the 90s in the Bay Area. Many artists that created the foundations for things that we do today, created whole new styles or pushed the boundaries of the existing ones like Ed Hardy, Lyle Tuttle, Fred himself, Juan Puente, Marcus Pacheco, Dan Higgs, and the list goes on and on and on. They all operated around this area in the 90s. So you can understand why Freddy is very well respected in the industry. Apart from that, I gotta say that on a personal note, I think that that's not even his best quality. When you talk to him or even cross him or even by listening to his words, you can sense an honesty and kindness that is uncommon. You can tell that when you talk to him, he cares. So I think that's why everybody likes Fred because he projects this beautiful energy so that those two things go hand in hand. His experience, his talent, his vision, and his beautiful attitude and approach towards the people he meets. It's been an honor and a pleasure to spend an evening talking to him. And I will say that, especially for the younger people, if you don't know some of the names that he mentioned in this interview, it will be very interesting for you to do a little bit of research because I really believe that by knowing where we come from, we know where we're going. So it might be that some stuff that you do today has been heavily influenced by some of these people. So that can give you a more informed and educated perspective on certain aspects of tattooing. If you enjoyed the show, please, it would mean a lot to us if you could uh, take a second to go on iTunes or Spotify, give us a five-star review. It would help reaching more people and amplify the words of these very experienced tattooers, hopefully to help more people. You can find all updates on future episodes and guests on Instagram at uh, Tattoo Tales Podcast, all in one word. And now I'm going to leave you to the episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did recording it. Let me ask you, Freddie, how, how long have you been tattooing for? Uh, I think I'm hitting like 35 years this year. So I don't All think right. I'm quite there yet, but like 34, 34 years. Okay. And uh, can you remember the first tattoo that you ever seen? That I've ever seen? Yeah, as a kid or something. like The first memory you have of a tattoo. You know, I don't have any of those, prof- you know, like uh, you always hear those stories of like, oh, my grandfather or my uncle the first time that I remember seeing somebody tat- that was heavily tattooed was somebody that was fixing our refrigerator <laughs> when I was a kid. And it was like, I don't know if he, I don't know if he was like a Korean veteran or possibly a World War II veteran because I was pretty young. But, um, you know, he was just covered in old tattoos. But I never had any desire to get tattooed from seeing those old tattoos. You know, that's not what really got me into it. Um, you know, I would see some old tattoos on some older men. I think the first exposure I had to tattoos were probably like Chicanos in junior high, like middle school. Um, little Pachuco crosses and stuff like that. But I didn't really get into tattooing until... Um, you know, it, it was kind of like a, um, a mesh of being in the punk scene and the art scene, you know? So I was starting to see like friends of mine get tattoos 
you know, little exploited skulls or, you know, black flag bars or whatever they were. And, you know, funnily, I thought it was pretty extreme. You know, I was just like, I, you know, I'd look at my friend like that's forever. <laughs> and I kind of had a pretty, I guess, in retrospect, a practical approach on it. You know, it, it wasn't until I had a girlfriend, like my first live in girlfriend that I lived with had this really cool, like little eye of Egyptian eye of Horus kind of tattoo that she had done herself by hand. And that's, that for me was what really kind of drew me in or, or opened the door. It was just like, there was something that was like very like kind of ethnic and primal about it. And I was really drawn to it and I tattooed myself. And then I discovered like Leo Zulueta's tattoos. Yep. And being in San Francisco, seeing that first black tattoo time with that crazy leg with the snake on the front. Mm-hmm. And I just had no idea that tattoos could look like that. Like I wanted to get tattooed before I saw that stuff. But once I saw that stuff, it was kind of like, okay, this is, you know, this is something that I'm really attracted to that I'm really excited about. And um, that's when I just like left all my friends in the dust and, and went and started mm-hmm. tattooing. And took off. Like, what do you think there was, <clears throat> not in retrospect, what do you think was the, was the thing uh, that attracted you the most in that? Like the raw power, more like the more simple, uh, you know, primal you thing know, or what? I think a part of it was that it was decorative. Um, you know, that was, I think, my, one of my biggest hurdles in the beginning was like, you know, the first tattoo is kind of the hardest because it's your only one. And then it's, you know, not that it has to mean something, but it's like, what would it be? What would I get? You know, it wasn't just, uh, I didn't really have a desire to get a skull or some band I listened to or anything like that. You know, I just didn't have a desire to do anything like that. But once I started seeing this, like these Egyptian, I have Horuses and this like kind of ancient, you know, it's like, I've always been very attracted to antiques and old stuff, especially like old religious stuff has always really drawn me in, but I wasn't really okay with like, or knew that I was okay with getting like religious tattoos yet. I think I had this idea that like, maybe you needed to be Catholic or to get like a Jesus tattoo in the very beginning. So I think when I saw like Polynesian tattoos or like the Samoan Paya or like Leo tattoos, there was just something about how it rested on the body how it was worn and how it looked like it was supposed to be there for me you know and especially especially like those sacred hearts with the swastikas and the daggers that leo drew you know it was just like there was just something about it i you know it was just something that you know it's it's just uh, it's an attraction you know sometimes you don't even know why you're attracted to something you just are you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and a lot of times you don't even spend a lot of time trying to figure out why I'm attracted to it. You just know, like, I am attracted to it and I like it and I love it and I want some, you know. Yeah. And then, I mean, if you give you the reason, you know, intellectually for like why you're attracted from that thing, it doesn't make it better anyway. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 almost like not even that important to me. You know, I mean, it can be interesting. Sure. Yeah. But. You know, I think it was just really something about how it didn't have to mean something, yet it was beautiful. There was a lot of strength, 
you know, it was like powerful, like you said, but beautiful at the same time, which is a, always a really wonderful dynamic, you know, when something yeah. is like incredibly like horrific and beautiful at the same time, you know, very attractive. Yeah. A guy that I that I've been working with, uh, Ron Kupal, a very very good tattoo artist from Arizona. Um, he said uh, once about uh, we were talking about Grez, I think tattoos, and he, he said this expression we go stuck in my mind because it's perfect. And he said, "Yeah, they are tough and elegant. Like, oh, that's such a beautiful yeah pair, right? Exactly. No, that's that's it. I mean, that's like the yin and the yang almost. You know, it's like yeah. it's like the best of both worlds working together. You know, two for one." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you got the whole deal. And uh, where did you go from there? Like, how did you get so, into it? Um, basically, you know, it was the kind of thing where I didn't know anybody. Or, you know, it was like, this is the 80s, like the second half of the 80s. So it's probably like I moved to San Francisco in 86. So um, I was incredibly attracted to tattooing. I kind of wanted to tattoo as I was getting tattooed. Like I had only tattooed myself. Um, and then, so I just started kind of like getting tattooed, you know, and I would go, I went to Lyle Tuttle's shop the first two times that I got tattooed and the atmosphere was incredible. You know, there was like a tattoo museum. I got tattooed by this fella, Joshua Golden, who's kind of like this really cool California hippie guy. And then I got tattooed by Morbella, the Dutch tattooer, which was fucking incredible. You know, she was just like so cool you know, so dynamic. And, um, you know, so I was just like, wow, this is this, you know, it was an atmosphere I'd never been in before, you know, and I'm basically like looking at people making a living doing art, you know, they don't have to put on any kind of suit. They can do whatever they can get tattooed. She had her nose pierced, you know, and she's like making money. I was just like, okay, I, I'm sold. You know, where do I, mean? I sign? Like, the, yeah, exactly. So, so at that point it was figuring out okay, so where the fuck do you get tattoo machines? You know what I mean? Like, where do you buy this stuff? Because I'd never seen it before. Nobody I knew had the answer, you know? So I, um, I was friends with this guy, Vaughn, eventually. Once I kind of started going to Erno's on the Lower Hate, he had an Ed Hardy bodysuit. So he had these like gorgeous tattoos. He had worked for Lyle for about seven years. And he was the first tattooer that I asked you know, like, well, where do you get machines? And, you know, are there catalogs? What are the companies? Like, how does this work? He was the first tattooer that answered me, you know? So I would say that it wasn't that Joshua and Morbella were rude about it. They just, you know, kind of shoved it off to the side, shuffled it off to the side. I could tell they didn't really want to give me any information. I wasn't going to press it. But because this one tattooer was giving me information, then I stayed there you know, and I just, you know, I did what you do for any sensei. I just was bringing gifts, getting tattooed, helping, answering the phone, cleaning the toilet, anything you wanted, I would do. Yeah. Short of going and killing somebody, I would have done anything. <laughs> you know, so um, just the fact that, you know, there was somebody that was giving me a little bit of information was enough for me to stay. And then also, like Dan Higgs had just come and started working there a few months after I was getting tattooed there. So he had just moved there from Baltimore. Sonny Tufts, who became a really good friend of mine, um, was also there. You know, I'd never met anybody like him before. He was covered in tattoos. I couldn't tell if he was 25 or 45. 
he had this look of this like retro look, you know, and while when everybody was running around, like, you know, we called it death rock, but like goth now or punk or rock and roll, everybody was alternative. You know, here's a guy, you know, wearing like old vintage shirts and covered in tattoos. He looked, you know, I guess people might say like rockabilly, but he just looked like he was from the forties, you know, and I'd never met anybody like that before. So I was, incredibly attracted to him. He was super funny. He was a wealth of information. He knew the history of tattooing. And once I kind of became friends with these guys, then it was like, okay, you know, how does this work? Where do I get tattoo machines? What do I need to do? You know, and, you know, I guess they liked me enough to like, kind of let me hang around. And I eventually bought some tattoo machines, but Erno was pretty open letting me work there. Dan moved, Higgs moved, and I kind of took his place. And, you know, my apprenticeship was basically like, here's how you set up a machine. He showed me how to make needles once. That was it. That was my apprenticeship. And it was kind of like, if you have any questions, ask. You know, so I just basically started tattooing my roommates. And then I started tattooing customers. You know, and I did a lot of bad tattoos for six months. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the club. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. You know, some okay ones. But um, one thing that really worked for me was the era. You know, this was not a time when many people tattooed. And most of the tattoos were, tattooers were older. So there was Greg Culls, who was basically like, he did, was on the cover, or his tattoos were on the cover of that research and development magazine. He was the first person I ever saw that had like HR Giger tattoos. So he kind of was the one that spawned that whole biomechanical thing before like Eddie Deutsch and Guy Atchison had started doing it. And the people that did his tattoos were like Ed Hardy, Shotzi Gorman, uh, Carrie Barba. So they were good tattooers that had done this really different stuff. So it was very clean, like done very well. Um, and then, you know, I was working with Dan and I was working with Sonny. And uh, so what I started to say was, I, I hung out, I had an apartment with, you know, like four of my friends. It was a total, you know, like kind of punker hangout type place. So there was a lot of traffic coming through there. People were just hanging out and stuff. And I would sleeve my friends with like a Sharpie. You know, I, I loved Sharpies because they stayed on, they were. <laughs> And I would just take a Sharpie and somebody would sit next to me while they were listening to music or smoking weed or whatever they were doing. And I would just sit there and like sleeve them out with tribal tattoos and they would, it would stay and they would go out and get all this attention. They would go out. People thought they were real tattoos. You know, it's like a dark room. You can't really tell. So people were always like, Oh my God, Oh my God. And they loved the like attention. They loved wearing it. And they were like, we want these, you know, so the fact that there weren't a lot of tattooers, I mentioned Greg Coles, Theo Jack was apprenticing and I was kind of apprenticing starting, you know? So we were kind of like the three younger guys of the Bay Area, basically. Um, you know, this is before like any Marcus Pacheco or Eddie or anybody had moved to San Francisco yet at this point. So, you know, there was a lot of people that wanted tattoos and a lot of the tattoos I did were just black in the beginning. So that was help. That help was very helpful, you know, as far as not doing like too many horrible tattoos in the very beginning, you know, yeah. traditional wasn't popular yet. Yeah. And that was the what, early nineties. 
No, that was the 80s. That was like 87, 88. Mm. By I'd say like 89, 90 is when Dan started like jumping on the traditional train because of Sonny Tufts, because of like learning about like the power, the dynamics of like super simple traditional designs. He started using seven rounds and five rounds. We were all using threes and seven mags. That was it. Those are the only two needles I knew of you know um so once the the rounds came in and the boulder tattoos came in ed was really like excited about and kind of getting this stuff started again because ed's always loved that stuff as well Mm -hmm. you know and just like ed played a huge role in like moving leo's stuff to the public you know publishing it letting people know about it um he kind of did that was excited about Dan's stuff as well, you know? So in that first white, or excuse me, that white tattoo time, the fourth tattoo time, the first one we were ever in, um, he published these drawings that Dan had done, you know, and he was starting to, you know, I've got one of his first big five round tattoos, you know, like a skull with a crown, with like SF in the eyes or whatever, dope. you know? That's yeah. Dope. And it was completely, you know, it was completely different. It was new. It was exciting. So, um, you know, it really took off. So there was like a mix of black tattoos and then traditional tattoos were coming in plus at this time. So we're into like 90 at this point. So it was just before the whole like new school movement started, you know, so that whole kind of like Marcus Pacheco or Dave Waugh style stuff, you know, the twisted wrench with a super calligraphied bold line you know all that stuff that was kind of like 90 to 94 ish five ish maybe it was kind of out by then but yeah i mean growing in san francisco must have been at those in those times i mean even today but you know in those times crazy because it's it's it was just like a big pot of talent and and crosses of cultures and yeah right yeah it was tattoo mecca as far as i was concerned you know what I mean? I mean, you had Henry Goldfield, you had Lyle Tuttle, you had, I mean, say what you want about maybe like Lyle's tattooing capabilities, but you know, that motherfucker is a badass and he knows what he's doing and he knows a lot about tattooing and he's done a lot for tattooing. So to have like those three moguls, you know, plus even like Dean Dennis, Barbary Coast, Leo was there, uh, Bill Salmon. You know, so there was like, it was like a renaissance of tattooing was happening like right around me, you know. And when I was reading the Tattoo Time, you know, I went out and grabbed the Tattoo Time very early. And I'm looking through the Tattoo Time and I'm reading like Greg Irons, San Francisco, Ed Hardy, San Francisco, Henry Goldfield, San Francisco. You know, where are these people? <laughs> you know, so I just sought them out. I just went and got tattooed by Henry, went and got tattooed by Ed and you know, Dean Dennis wasn't tattooing at the moment, but I would have gotten tattooed by him as well. Chuck Eldridge, you know, they were all around. So I was very, very fortunate to be where I was. Amazing. Very much so. And uh, what's the next step from there? So now you're tattooing all these people that, yeah, you, you're following that type of uh, style and stuff. And uh, where did you go from there? Um, well, I started tattooing and... I was getting tattooed by Henry Goldfield a lot. He taught me a lot. I really learned, you know, where I started tattooing, 
Erno, God bless him, he was partying. He just was doing tons of drugs. And I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of interesting and fun for a minute. But if you were really like trying to learn and be serious, it wasn't a conducive atmosphere. So I was really drawn to Henry and I learned a lot from Henry. I learned how to deal with clients from him. I learned about sterility and cross-contamination and all that stuff from him. And, you know, I was just kind of like welcomed into the family. I think, you know, I didn't spoke unless spoken to, you know, I, I would get tattooed, you know, people come around, they want all this information, but they're not like getting tattooed. It's kind of like, it's a little strange. You know what I mean? It's like people come to me, Hey, what do, what do you have to do to start tattooing? It's like, get tattooed. You'll figure it out, man. You know what I mean? Like you have to like do it. It's like, Oh, I want to be a musician, but I don't want to pick up a bass or a guitar. You know, it doesn't make any sense. So, um, so from there, basically I was just getting tattooed a lot. I started getting tattooed by Ed. We really clicked. And then, um, so gosh, what was his name? Um, I'm blanking on it right now. Dan Tomei. Dan Tomei was doing hand tattoos at Realistic with Bill Salmon. Dan quit working there. So Ed was kind of looking for somebody to, to be that second person. There was just two stations there. And uh, it was private, you know, appointment only. Um, so I had never really worked in that atmosphere before, but working with Bill, working there was incredible. And then once Bill quit working there, then we pulled Dan over. From Dan was at Erno's as well. He had come, moved back to San Francisco with his wife and daughter at the time. Mm -hmm. So once Bill quit working at Realistic, then you know it was like, hey, I have this friend. He's awesome, and Ed met him and loved him. And then Dan and I started working together. And then from there, basically, Eddie Deutsch wanted to move to San Francisco. The lease was up at Realistic Studio. It wasn't really, there were some businesses that had been opened in the front, the same dynamic that it had before. So we were kind of wanting to move out of that space into like a regular tattoo shop type atmosphere where people could walk in and didn't need an appointment just to come in. That was one thing that was difficult was um, when you work by appointment in that kind of format, you need appointments just to have a consultation for people just to ask questions, you know? So you would kind of stop tattooing or in the middle of tattooing, you'd sit down at this little desk and you'd speak with people. And then it was kind of like, it was a little weird to be like, okay, well, I'm done. I, I got everything I need to know. I need to get back to work. You know what I mean? So we knew mm -hmm. that like, this was a really neat thing that Ed had done after he had come back from Japan. But basically it wasn't the format that we really wanted to like work on, work in moving forward, let's say. So Eddie and I were basically going to open a shop up together and hire Dan and Igor Mortis, unless Ed was wanting to open up a shop and Ed did want to open up a shop. So that's when he opened up Tattoo City in July of 91, basically. Okay. All right. And then, so what do you do? Uh, so what did we do? We, he found a cool spot and we, you know, had somebody build it out and we decorated and painted some flash and opened, you know, and just started working. Yeah. And when you say that, how was the atmosphere there compared to the other? I guess it was more structure, more discipline, more, what do you say? Uh, between Tatsu City and where I learned? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely more structure, which was amazing. It was great. Um, Ed was a great boss. He was a really, really good boss. I mean, I learned a lot 
about how to be a good boss from Ed, you know, and he pretty much just like let us do our thing, you know, as long as we were showing up and, you know, putting out good tattoos. He didn't really live in San Francisco. He, well, excuse me. He lived there part of the time. So he lived between Hawaii and San Francisco, you know, which was just like so esoteric. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like there's this tattooer and he lives in Hawaii and you have to write him to get an appointment. You know what I mean? There was no phone number, yeah. you know, it was before obviously computers. And so it was really interesting. And he would come into town. It was super fun when he came into town. Working with him was amazing. And then he was gone, you know. So, you know, for three weeks, four weeks at a time, he wouldn't even be around. We were just doing our thing. It was like our place, you know. I mean, it's his place, obviously, but you know what it's like when you work at a shop. It's like a family. And, yeah, of course. And you just, you treat it like it's your own, you know, yeah. like all the people that work at Temple, they treat the place like it's their own. So if I'm gone for a few weeks, I'm not really like worried about anything, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it was great. Yeah. What would you say, you know, what would you say is Ed's uh, biggest contribution to tattoo? You can't sum it up in two words, you know, but in your experience that you got to know him more, closely and stuff you know what would you say his influence has been mostly um how would you say decisive more really influential you know his contribution so we're talking about ed specifically mm -hmm. um well i mean i would say custom tattoos probably i've never really thought about that but if, if thinking about it i would say custom tattooing because the only place that was really doing, let's say, quote unquote, custom tattooing was Japan, really. West, all the images were kind of already laid out for you in flash books or flash, you know. So I think Ed going over to Japan and studying large work and how it fits the body properly, like kimono style, and then bringing that back to the West, opening up an appointment only studio kind of Japanese style where, you know, it's like, you just can't walk in. I think, you know, and that whole kind of like where your dreams was kind of like realistics card logo or slogan, you know? So the fact that you could do anything as a tattoo, I mean, I think that changed tattooing, Yeah. you know? I mean, look at all the different styles and we have like, you know, sacred geometry and this and that and, that's pretty much probably, you know, it probably would have happened, but maybe it happened quicker because of what he did, you know? And at what point did you open Temple? I opened Temple. I tried to open Temple in 97, but I ended up opening Temple in 98. So I worked from Tattoo City from like 91 to 96. I worked for Ed 90 to 96. And then I kind of like ran around for a year. I went over to Amsterdam. I was working basically at like American Graffiti in Sacramento and Hanky Pankies in Amsterdam. I adore Hank and I always loved going over there. So I went over there and like, you know, worked for like eight months and saved some money to like open up yeah. a shop. And how was came that? Back. There was a pirate ship, huh? Oh, it was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible. Hank, Hank is like nobody, favorite experiences. nobody else. Like Hank is. Uh... <laughs> There's nobody like Hank. Yeah. You know, and to have somebody that's like, you know, like a, 
what's the right word? It's like a cultural anthropology. Somebody who's like an anthropologist, you know, somebody who's a, like a photojournalist to get into tattooing, you know? Um, he's an incredible writer. He's fucking funny as shit. And, you know, it's like, I would just have these experiences where, you know, one time there was traffic was really thick. So we like, Jackie, his wife at the time, uh, was gave us a ride to work and the traffic got super thick. So we got out of the car to walk to the shop and he bought a little like used bicycle for, you know, 40 gliders or whatever. And then we jumped on the, I jumped on the back and he just went barreling down the sidewalk, just telling old ladies, get the fuck out of the way and beeping the horn and ringing the bell. And, you know, I just never done anything like that before. <laughs> and to be doing it with Hank just makes it so much better and so much more fun. So I, I have like a super special place in my heart for, Amsterdam and the Schiffmacher family and that shop and the new shop, you know, it's, 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 you know, it was huge being in San Francisco and it was also huge being in Amsterdam, you know, so to get to work with Molly and around Dave Shore and I met so many people, you know, through there. Um, it was just incredible. You know, it was incredible. So there were two times that I went over there for months you know, I've worked over there maybe like five times or something like that. But there were two times that I actually had like an apartment, you know, over there. So you stayed and, for a while um, and got to know yeah. the city a bit more. And yeah, I think the first time I stayed for three months and the second time I stayed for like seven or eight months, you know, it was like okay. a little longer than like a summer. And then, um, and then I came over here and tried to open a tattoo shop and got turned down a few, a good amount of times. And then I ended up, finally getting a spot a cool spot you know and then that that was uh 98 like may of 98 yeah and because uh, I, I was listening to one of your interviews once uh, and and you can tell that community is very important for you so it's not just you know it's not of course it's passion but you you have this sense or at least that's what i get out of you know listening to you talking about it like a very strong sense of community and the importance of you know, building this relationship with your local surrounding, right? Very much. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, and the same same thing for like your coworkers. You you surround yourself with some very talented and passionate people over the years. Yeah, no, it's been great. I mean, I've been lucky. There's been a couple of things that have happened, like uh, when Eddie closed 222, you know, um, Scott Sylvia came over and Jeff Rasher came and worked a bit. And then Jesse Tuesday came over and worked and Khan, Chris Khan came over from Tattoo City. Derek Snodgrass came over from Tattoo City, Jason, uh, Heath Preheim, you know, and now it's interesting because after COVID, you know, about four guys moved, you know, um, you know, and that's part of the cycle like the cycle of life, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I never yeah. take that stuff personally. I know that any person that comes and works for me is going to eventually leave for whatever reason. Hopefully it's a good reason, right? Mm. And so COVID knocked out a few, a couple of my guys and there's a big shift recently, just in the last couple months. Um, Jason uh, McAfee like moved to Dallas. Hector Fong moved to Austin. Keith Preheim moved back to Lincoln and I think he's on his way to Denver to work with Salty Walt McDonald. 
And Seth had worked with me for about eight years, Seth Wood, and he wanted to kind of like get his own thing going for a while. So he branched off. And, you know, it's interesting because for a minute, you know, it's like, oh, shit, shit, shit's changing. And change can be scary at times. But one thing that I've learned, you know, and this is just like a life experience kind of thing as we get older. If you're doing the right thing, shit works out usually. Not always, you know, it might not every single time, but eventually it does, you know. And so during the lockdown, um, there was a lady, she's only been tattooing about five years, Natalie Phillips. She basically was kind of like needing a place to work. Some stuff had happened. And I just like let her sit in for a couple days a week, you know, just to kind of help her out. And then Jason and Seth ended up moving and she's staying. And then um, Laura Lay, she's a British girl who works here. She does really beautiful work. She just started working at the shop. Like she was just sitting in for a month and everybody really liked her. <clears throat> she got along with everybody really well. The vibe was nice. So we hired her. And then I just hired this other fella, Alex Petty who just moved here from, um, he was working at Greenpoint out in New York, but he grew up here in Pacifica, which is right next to San Francisco. So, you know, it's within a matter of weeks, it just kind of like all fell into place, you know? And there's definitely times, you know, when you're at a place for a long time, there's little times where you're like, oh, that time was really neat when all those guys worked there. You know, I loved it when like Scott and Con worked there. I love it when like Derek and Heath and Jason worked there. And we're just at the next stage, you know, and, and it's been really nice, you know, so I still work with like three guys that I've been working with for a decade, but now there's like three new people and, you know, we all get along really well and it's exciting. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like, wow, this is really neat. You know? Yeah. You know what? I know this is going to sound quirky or whatever or hippie, but you know, maybe some of those moments are special because they have an end. You know, and then you yeah. really treasure because it's it's a part of your life. And then, yeah, that's why they're special. And then they need to make space. It's like with partners or something, you know, sometimes you need to make space for the next beautiful memories you're going to build, right? So, yeah, no, that's a beautiful way to look at it. I, I agree 100%. Yeah, yeah. most definitely. And, and let me ask you, how do you think that your style or your taste, you know, or even the things that you're attracted by or that resonates with you or tickle you change? in the last, let's say 10 years. I don't know, you look at 10 years ago and now and you're like, how did that change? Now you look at other things that really, you know, tickle you or what would you say the biggest change in your taste has been? Um, you know, I think, you know, the first 10 years of tattooing, your whole goal is just to kind of be like good. You know, you just want to be a good tattooer. And I, you know, still believe this, but I think a big part of it for me was, you know, you have to be good at black and gray, at traditional, at Japanese, you have to learn how to do wind bars, Japanese water. And, you know, you just need to be like a very well-rounded tattooer. So when that client comes in, you know, whether it's a back piece or a little Pinterest tattoo that you can do it well, you know? Um, and I'd say the one thing that's changed for me recently and I kind of feel like social media has a big part to play in this where tattooers can become very like niche oriented. You know, you can have a tattooer that just does like this one thing, for example. Mm -hmm. 
whatever that is. So for me, I really enjoy just doing black and gray tattoos, you know, and I've kind of pulled away from doing color tattoos. And part of like my theory behind it is that, you know, I mean, I'm 55 years old, so I've got what, 20, 25 years left. And I want to enjoy those years. You know, I've been tattooing almost 35 years and I still do enjoy going to work. But I think the reason that I still enjoying it and am enjoying it after all these years is because my days are easier. You know, like I don't want to do a big color rib cage tattoo. You know, it's just difficult. (laughs) (laughs) And you got to like draw it for days before. And there's, it's so labor intensive that I'm kind of thinking to myself, you know what? Like, I like these little roses and sacred hearts, like just as much as anything else. And if there's no color involved, you know, I just set up a little three, maybe a little shader. And it's like a very enjoyable process for me, you know, and I'm totally okay with just kind of, you know, what's that term that we use here in America? Stay in your lane. You know, it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of staying in my lane. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I just want people that get tattooed by me to love the tattoo they get. You know, I want to make a living. And I just am like simplifying everything, I guess. You know, and it's it's been really, really enjoyable because, you know, there's those days where you're like, maybe the tattoo is really nice when you're finished, but you have like a very difficult tattoo to do and you're working and you're nervous and the area is hard and, you know, the phone's ringing or whatever, and you're just trying to get through the tattoo. And I don't have a lot of that anymore. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if that really answered your question specifically, but, you know, just kind of like reeling it in and staying in my lane and doing what I'm comfortable with has made the process more enjoyable for me on a daily basis, basically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there is no right answer. You know, that's, that's you. And you said, sure. you mentioned a word uh, specifically, you said simplifying. Do you find personally uh, that, you know, getting older, you tend or we tend, you know, to actually simplify everything, even like maybe with relationships, even with like the people, you know, the things you do, you know, when, you, when you're in your 20s, you got all this energy, you want to do everything, you know, and then you get yeah. older and you simplify because then you appreciate more certain things. Are like, you know what, I'm going to stick to this. I don't need everything else. Like removing the noise a little bit. I would hope so. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I kind of feel like, you know, you should get wiser as you get older. And that seems like a, like a less is more kind of thing is definitely like a wise approach, I would think. Yeah. You You know, know, but when you say less is more, when you say less is more, you make me think of Dan Higgs. (laughs) And yeah, uh, yeah, very much. And you just had a show with him, right? Yeah. In July. How was it? How was it? It was fantastic. It was great. Yeah. It was like, um, well, we, we bumped it from 20 to 21. And then, you know, we thought, oh, well, everything will be fine in a year. And things still weren't. So I was a little nervous about how are we going to do this? You know, like it's a little too late to bump it again. Are we going to just like have a queue and then let a dozen people in at a time? You know, I was just kind of like, how is this going to work? You know? And, uh, 
you know, I guess the gods smiled on us or whatever, because basically there was a little window between the original COVID and Delta. And that's right when the show was. So, you know, a few people wore masks, but most people were really excited to see their friends. Everybody had been locked down at home, not traveling. So it was, it, you know what conventions feel like. You see friends from all over that you don't normally get to see. So it was like a little mini one night convention where nobody had to work. Nice, <laughs> just the good so, stuff. Yeah, it was really nice. So it went really well, you know, and uh, it was cool. We both sold out of everything and, and people had a and really nice time. And it was a blast seeing him. My uh, wife and my son were going on a trip and they were planning the trip and Dan was going to stay with us. And my wife said, well, why don't we just go during the art show and then you can have the house to yourself with Dan. We'll be out of the way and you guys can do whatever you need to do. Right. It was like so sweet of her because, you know, we were just like cooking and hanging out and it was really, really nice. It was really cool. So, you know, we almost like, you know, we've always been pretty close, but when you see, you know, it's like a very good friend you don't need to see for 10 years and you see them again, you, you pick up right where you left off. It's like yesterday. So it yeah. was like that too, but it was also like really, really nice. You know, it was really nice to get to spend like three days together, you know, it was fun. Nice, nice. And uh, yeah, I wish I could have seen that because at least from the picture or whatever, you can see the faces of the people, you know, really like that. And maybe like you said, all the conditions align and everybody had that energy yeah. where they enjoyed this even more because that's been taken from us all, you know? So it's yeah. even more. It's like, ah. No, you could see that. You could definitely sense that. And I'll, I'll send you some pictures of the artwork. Nice, nice, awesome. And uh, uh, let me ask you a couple of more things and then I'm not going to take much more of your time. Um, what would you say, which you pretty much said it before, but you know, what would you say, uh, what, what kind of advice would you give to young tattooers of, you know, people that are getting now in the business, you know, people that started tattooing in the last, I don't know, two, three years or whatever, which now everything is speeded up compared yeah. to, you know, you have seen the change of an era, you know, so to say. So what would you say, what would you recommend? What would you advise? What would be your advice to young tattooer? Um, I would probably think, you know, aside from working hard, obviously, I'd say keeping your ego in check is probably like the most important because, man, I've seen that really, really affect. I think every person goes through it a little bit you know, because you have all these people like telling you how cool you are and, oh my God, this is so good. And if you listen to that stuff and you believe it, it can really distort your sense of reality, I think, you know? And I think that being grateful and being humble is like very important. And basically you know, if you just start thinking like you're the shit and I'm the man or I'm the lady or whatever, it just kind of makes a weird personality type, you know, <laughs> for me, you know, yeah. in my experience, yeah. I'll say, you yeah. know, so I feel that, uh, you know, like, like being grateful because I mean, if you don't have people coming and getting tattooed, what do you got? You know, we need those people as much as they might need us, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's no shortage of tattooers these days. 
So yeah. the dynamic is changing. I think, I think Tim Hendricks said we're basically just glorified, glorified plumbers. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, yeah. Uh, and if you could go back in time magically somehow, right? And you could talk to yourself when you were 16 or 15 or something before all of this started or when it was starting. With what you know now, what, would, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think that I would have probably worked a little bit harder instead of like running around and partying and trying to get laid and stuff like that. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I probably would have told myself to stay away from like hard drugs, you know? Like I, I'm a big psychedelics fan. I mean, I have a kid, I'm older. I don't do them really anymore or anything like that, but I love mushrooms and LSD. And I think that stuff is like very enlightening. And I think it's been a very positive thing. And, you know, I, I like smoking marijuana, but I just would, I tell young tattooers that all the time. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, just stay away from the hard stuff, man. Cause it's just nowheresville. You know what I mean? It can be fun for a minute, but it can really affect you, you know, and your life and your loved ones, you know? So I think that would be the advice I'd give myself for sure. Awesome. Uh, Freddie, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at Temple Tattoo, which is in Oakland, California. And uh, my Instagram is at Freddie Corbin Tattoos. I have not been writing people back in the DMs the last couple months, but I will get there. And I also remind people, you know, if you ever want to talk or you have a question, you can call the tattoo shop. Yeah. You know, you can look up the number and pick up the phone and call me at one o'clock on any day that I work. I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And uh, give me a call and we can chat for a minute or two. Yeah. People you know? forget that stuff today, right? You can actually talk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And are you going to travel? Do you have any travel plans? You know, not at the moment. You know, um, I think I'll probably, uh, my family and I went over to Paris for a month in 19. It was really great. I worked at Tin Tins for a little bit and uh, a few days a week. And I think I'm going to go over to Barcelona next, you know, and then try and like come over to Italy and maybe Amsterdam for a, a week or 10 days of that month. The tribal tour was amazing, but that's completely shut down at the moment, you know. Yeah. Um, so at the moment I don't have any travel plans, but I've always traveled and I'll be out there again someday, but right now I'm just at home. Nice. Yeah. I just moved to Barcelona. So if you come, I'll be happy to, you know, show you Oh, around. that would be great. Yeah, be please, yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go yeah. out and we'll get a meal together. And if you, you know, you should come visit here sometime, come sit in definitely. at the shop. Definitely. Definitely. Be fun. Yeah. Awesome. Freddie, this has been uh, very nice. I'm really happy that finally we made it happen. It's, uh... <laughs> Always, there's always something, huh? Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right, Fred. Thank you very much. This has been super duper nice. I hope I hope we meet someday. You know, I'll show you around, or you show me around, or something. Yeah, yeah. No, we will. We will. We met briefly in what is that Germany, yeah, Aachen, Aachen, I think. Aachen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it'll happen again. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you again, and have a good day. Yeah. Thank you, Steph. You have a good day as well. Thank you, sir. Take care. Bye, Fred. Bye, bye. Bye.